Genesis chapter 1, we'll read the first 13 verses as we study the all-important doctrine of creation. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above that expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruits, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds. And trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And the grass withers and the flower fades. But know not the word of our Lord. It stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. There is no more pressing question than who made you. No more pressing question than where did you come from? But this is nothing new under the sun. It's as relevant today as it was back when the Israelites received this word. As Moses was retelling the creation story under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we need to remember that the Israelites had been enslaved for 400 years in captivity to the Egyptians. They had forgotten the story of their origin. They've forgotten who they were. They forgot where they came from. They forgot that it's not the stars to be worshipped, but it's the one who's created the stars. It's not creation that's to be worshipped, but it's the one who created the world, the heavens and the earth, with his very word, the very word of God. This has been an important question, who made us and where did we come from, all throughout church history. In fact, the Westminster Confession of Faith says this in chapter 4, it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very Good. I want us to understand the importance, be reminded for some of us and maybe for some of us discover for the first time the all-important doctrine of God's creation. As I said, relevant today as it was relevant thousands of years ago when the Israelites received this story of the creation of the heavens and the earth. 
Our world and our culture need a biblical doctrine of God's creation. And so today, briefly, by studying Genesis chapter one, I want us to look at the governance of creation, the design of creation, and the goodness of God's creation. First, the governance of creation. The opening line of Genesis and the opening line of the word of God is a slam dunk statement. In the beginning, God, we are introduced to who is governing all of the affairs of the world, and it is God himself. It is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In my opinion, the most foundational worldview It's been said that this one verse helps to put into context everything else in the scriptures. And if you get this verse wrong, that really nothing else will make sense. It's understanding that God and not you are the subject of the story. It's understanding that God and not you are the center of the universe. That God and not you is the main subject of the story of scripture and ultimately the story of the world. God is mentioned 34 times in the first 35 verses of Genesis just to remind you that this world is not revolving around you, but instead revolving around God. It is all the story, the story of creation, about the governance of God. God is presented as the sovereign creator of all things, and it confronts the cultural lie of human autonomy, that humans are somehow autonomous in this life and in this world. No, it's God, the sovereign God, who has created all things and sustains all things and governs all things that confronts the cultural lie all throughout history that humanity is somehow autonomous. The word God in verse one is translated Elohim, which speaks to the transcendent nature of God. It speaks to the universal majesty of God, the idiom heavens and earth. In the Hebrew, there was no word for the totality of all things. And so when we see the idiom heavens and earth or east from the west, it is explaining the totality of God's universal reign and kingship, that there is nothing in the heavens above and in the earth below by which God is not sovereign creator and sovereign governor over. Practically speaking, your marriage, your children, your job, and your health, the flooding of this past week, and everything else in all of creation, that there is nothing outside the scope of God's sovereign hand. We are not autonomous, and that is good news for you and me today. If our lives were in our hands, we should just sit here and cry. But thanks be to God that our hands are in the hands of Elohim. But not only does the governance of creation confront the lie of human autonomy, it also confronts the cultural lie of human self-sufficiency. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, we have tried to claim our independence from God and try to exist as if we are not dependent on anything but ourselves. But the opening lines of scripture tell a different story. It tells us that God created the heavens and the earth out of what? Out of nothing at all. Everything is dependent upon God. God is dependent on nothing. It's what we call, 
the doctrine of creation ex nihilo, that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. If God did create the heavens and the earth out of something, then God himself would be dependent on something else. But I don't read a verse before verse one. Now, I usually preach, and I'm doing so today from the ESV, um, but I really do believe that the New American Standard Version, I know my friend Rita Cephalou will appreciate this comment, actually gives the best translation of Genesis 1 and 2. Because there are some liberal scholars that want to make the case that God did create something out of the raw materials of the world, the the formless void of of Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. But no, it should read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the earth. You cannot read verse 1 independent from verse 2. Verse two is a result of the creation that happens in verse one. Super important. You go, pastor, what's the big deal? We're really splitting hairs here. No, not at all. If we believe that God's creation started in verse three out of the formless void, then we do not believe in creation ex nihilo, the creation out of nothing. And if we don't believe in creation out of nothing, then we cannot believe that humans are utterly dependent upon God but it is the reality and the truth that creation is out of nothing, not dependent on anything that creates and, and, and puts God in the position of sovereign creator and sustainer and governor of all things. Genesis 1 and 2 debunk the cultural lies that man is autonomous and man is self-sufficient. And you say, pastor, this takes a great deal of faith. It does. But I'll tell you what takes even greater faith, to believe that there wasn't a God that created something out of nothing. Try this, that nothing created the heavens and the earth, that all of this is just a result of spontaneous self-creation. That takes a whole lot more faith than to believe Genesis 1 and 2 that God, the sovereign creator of the universe, spoke the world into existence simply by his life-giving word, bringing light and life into all of creation. Genesis 1, the doctrine of creation, speaks to the governance of God over all creation. Secondly, the doctrine of creation in Genesis 1 reveals to us the design of creation. We read the first 13 verses, but if you were to continue on to verse 25, you would see this repeated pattern over and over again. God is in the business of creating and the business of filling. In days one through three, God creates the form and Days four through six, he fills that form. But what it shows us is that there's nothing in creation that's random. But there is an order and a distinct pattern and a distinct design that there is nothing random about the created order. And we'll find out in a couple weeks that there's certainly nothing random about our creation as human beings created in the image and likeness of God. And what's the point? And why is this important? The design of creation and the orderly pattern of creation point to a chief designer. You cannot look at the specific design of creation 
and the patterns of creation and the order of creation and not acknowledge a chief designer. The design of creation points to a chief designer, which is Elohim. The design of the earth demands a designer. And this, my friends, was the basis of modern science. Most people think in the 21st century that faith and science are enemies. To the contrary, science could have never developed with the Eastern religions. The Eastern religions don't even believe in a physical earth. It's hard to study science when you don't have a physical earth. It's certainly the basis for modern science wasn't in the pagan polytheistic religions. They believed that the story of creation was the result of the gods up in heaven battling it out. That just led to more chaos, not order. It is the Judeo-Christian worldview of creation that is the basis of modern science, contrary to what our children are being taught in school today. And it was some of the great scientists and great thinkers throughout history that have brought about the basis of modern science and innovation and technology that they themselves were believers in Jesus Christ. And if you are a young person here today, listen to me. We need you. We need you to go into science and into medicine. We need Christians on the front line once again, inventing things and being the leaders of innovation and technology and being on the forefront of science and medicine because if God has designed this world a particular way, we need those that believe in the creator God going out into the public square, declaring that the heavens declare the glory of God and the creator God. But it is the basis of modern science. The universe isn't random. The world was created by a rational and purposeful God. The doctrine of creation speaks to the governance of creation, the design of creation, and third and lastly, it speaks to the goodness of creation. If you read Genesis chapter one, God looks at his creation, the material world, and says it's good. This was paradigm shattering in the ancient world. Up until this point, the material world was seen as evil. It was seen as bad. Take Greek thought, for instance. The Greeks thought that only the spiritual was good and the physical was bad. And when we read in the creation account that God's creation is good, this is paradigm shattering to think that the physical material world is not corrupt and evil, but good according to the original design of God. The world had never heard of this teaching, a teaching that speaks to the goodness of creation. But Christians have believed this for 2,000 years that the creation is good according to God's original design. That's why we don't believe that the world is ultimately going to hell in a handbasket, but we believe that God, instead of burning the created order up in flames one day, will simply refine the world with the refiner's fire, but will eventually restore and redeem this world into the new creation. We just celebrated resurrection last week. The physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ sent a signal to the world that God not only cares about the spiritual, but he cares about the physical. That's why as a church, we care about engaging the physical world. We care about engaging culture for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom because our God is a cosmic king. 
that has not turned his back on the world, but his original design for the world was good. And we live in light of the promise that Jesus will once again come again in glory to make this world right and restore it to its original goodness. But it's interesting, we're attracted to creation, aren't we? Unfortunately, many times, turning the creation order upside down or reversing it so attracted to creation that we fall into idolatry, that we worship instead of the creator, we worship the creation. But what is it about creation that is so beautiful and so alluring? Well, the answer comes in Genesis chapter one. Creation has what you and I don't have, the benediction and blessing of God. You see, the Bible tells us that instead of us receiving the words that we are good, The Bible tells us we receive the words that we're under a curse because of sin. And because we are under sin, born and conceived in sin, instead of receiving by nature the benediction of God, we receive the malediction of God. And the question is, what in the world would ever restore us so that we would not receive the malediction of God, but we would receive what creation received in Genesis chapter 1, the good blessing of God? Well, there's only one person born after Adam and Eve that would be born with the blessing of God. It would be in the Jordan at baptism that Jesus would hear these words, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. It was Jesus Christ himself, the new and better Adam that receives the blessing of God, that receives the good word of his father. And but here's the good news. That on the cross, Jesus Christ took on our curse and took on our malediction so that by faith alone, we would receive the benediction and the blessing and the good word of our Father upon us. Darkness fell upon Jesus so that the light of the gospel would fall onto all those who believe. That the light of the gospel, the light of God's good word that brought light out of the darkness in Genesis chapter one is the same word that brings light to us. The word became flesh and brings light to our dark and weary souls. That through Jesus Christ alone, we get the satisfaction and the soul fulfillment that we long for to hear the good words of our Father saying, you are blessed and you are good. Not out of any goodness of our own, but solely out of the goodness of Jesus Christ. Pastor, you say this is a stretch. I didn't make it up. Paul reveals it to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's Paul, the Apostle Paul, that makes this connection between our redemption and the creation of the world. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, the opening lines of Genesis chapter 1 not only reveal the story of creation, but it reveals the story of our redemption. Just as the light shone into the darkness of creation, the light of God's word through the person of Jesus Christ shines into the darkness of our souls. That without Christ, we were formless and we were void that we were dark and empty, but it was the light of God's gospel through the person and work of Jesus Christ that came in 
and made us new creations, recreated us, bringing us from death to life so that we might be born again and never again be empty. Jesus emptied himself of his glory so that we would forever have the glory of God the Father through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So in closing, what does this all mean and what does this have to do with me? If this isn't true, and God did not create the heavens and the earth, and the doctrine of creation is false, then go out and live like it. I give you permission. Go try and live in this world as if there is no God and no hope and no meaning and no purpose and no order. Don't even bother praying. Because the reality for those that do not acknowledge God as both creator and redeemer, that your life will simply be this. You live and you die and the world freezes over and that's it. That is the future for all those that reject God as both creator and redeemer. But if this is true, and I pray that you see it is today, you have all the hope in the world that nothing in your life today can take away the good news and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ alone. If it is true that God is creator and sustainer and redeemer, your life will never be the same. You have hope beyond all hope that your life, maybe for the first time today, you will discover that your life has meaning and purpose more than you could ever hope for or imagine. The doctrine of creation gives the world, a world out there that is struggling for meaning, purpose, and hope, a hope that is unshakable. This is the good news that we have to declare to a lost and dying world that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth, a God that has created you in his image. And because of that, we have hope beyond all hope. That in Jesus Christ coming into this creation and emptying himself and experiencing darkness on the cross, we can give the world good news to satisfy the empty longings and the emptiness of our souls, nothing that nothing else in this world can ever offer or provide. I am pleading with you this morning, would you run to Jesus, the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer of all things, I don't know how you could leave this morning denying the doctrine of the creation of God. If God is not creator and sustainer and governor of all things, I don't know how I could get up in the morning. And I don't know how you could get up in the morning either. That, my friends, to deny the doctrine of creation is an absolutely impossible life and an absolute absurdity to know who made you, to know who you belong to, to know where you came from makes all the difference in the world. In the 21st century, may we cherish and treasure the glorious good news of the doctrine of creation and the good news that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord, to think of all of the implications that if you did not create the heavens and the earth, 
the implications that if you are not sovereign and sustainer and governor of all things, Lord, I can't imagine what that life looks like. But because we know that your word proclaims truth, we can live our lives according to the infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God that in the beginning God and may that life-transforming truth guide us through this dark world that the same God who said, let there be light at creation sent his son Jesus Christ who is the word that became flesh who shines light, the light of the good news of the gospel into our dark souls and brings about recreation, brings about new life, that his word at creation and his word at recreation is the only hope for a lost and dying world. And if there is someone here today or watching at home that does not have this hope, They maybe have gone through their life thinking that they were some cosmic accident, going through this life thinking that they were autonomous and self-sufficient. May they surrender to the God who created all things and ordered all things and sustains all things, and may they surrender their life today to the one who brought his son into this world so that we could be born again. We could be recreated into the image and likeness of Jesus the Son. Simply say this, Lord Jesus, I confess my sins. I repent of living my life according to the lie of autonomy and self-sufficiency for all the ways in which I've tried to save myself producing a righteousness of my own. Today, I confess my sins and I profess that you alone have the power to save and I surrender my life to you as Lord. I surrender my life to you as Savior that my only hope in life and death is surrendering my life to the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of the world. Redeem my life and make me new. May the light of your gospel shine in the darkness of my soul and satisfy me by the reality of my forgiveness and the reality of my justification, not on the basis of what I've done, but on the basis of what Christ has done for me. I receive you as Lord and Savior this day and forevermore. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.